0: A sweet reunion has finally occurred for Joseph. It's been over 22 years since he has seen his father. And now Jacob and the brothers and all of the family, about 70 in all, have now made the trip from Canaan and are making residence now in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And this was all set up because there needed to be deliverance for the people of Israel, this 70, this family of Jacob. Because as we have read so far, the famine is extreme. The famine is so severe that chapter 47 tells us that all the inhabitants of Egypt have spent all of their money to Joseph. They've gone to him day after day and week after week, all of this time to be able to buy the grain that Egypt has accumulated during the seven years of plenty. And now the Egyptians are out of money. And they go to Joseph and say, we don't have any money to give you whatsoever and we're about to die because we're out of food. And so Joseph says, well, sell me your livestock. We'll buy that from you so that you can have grain to eat. And so the text tells us that's exactly what they did in verse 17 of Genesis 47. They start selling their livestock. And as time goes by, the famine does not get any better. And the Egyptians come back to now Joseph and say We've given you all our money for the grain And that's all gone And we've given you all of our livestock And now that's all gone All that we have left is the land that we live on And our bodies That's all we have I'd like for you to imagine the severity of that Uh, Your house, you, you have the plot of land you're on And yourself, that's it You don't have $2. You don't have any possessions. You just sold them all. That's all you have left. And so Joseph says, here's what I will do. As actually the Egyptians offer it and say, will you buy us? Buy our land and we will work for you. And so Joseph says, that's what we will do. We will buy your land. You can stay on the land and I will provide you seed. And you will go ahead and work the land and you will grow your crops there and you will keep 80% of that for yourself and 20% of it comes to Egypt. And so the Egyptians are excited with that because they're about to die yet. That's how bad the famine is. But God tells us something really interesting. From verse 13 all the way to verse 26 of Genesis 47 is just this description of the severity of the famine. The Egyptians have absolutely nothing, they have no money, sold all of their possessions, sold their livestock, sold their land, and sold themselves. But listen to verse 27. And thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. That's quite a contrasting statement. Here are the Egyptians selling everything that they own to Joseph. And here in Goshen it says in Israel and all those people they were there in the land of Goshen it says and they acquired possessions. They're bringing it in while the Egyptians have it going out. Which reminds us of something that this whole story, this whole narrative has been all about is how God is providing for Israel. That's how all of this began, that God knows that there is going to be a famine that's going to strike Canaan. And so God has been moving things so that Israel and the twelve sons and all of them are not going to all just die in Canaan. One can imagine what that would look like. Here's God, brings them all the way to the land of Canaan. Two generations later, we get to Jacob, and they all die. There's the famine, end of story. Well, that didn't work out too well. God is going to provide. God has a plan, and God is now executing these provisions for those who belong to Him. And we see that in how this all started, in that you're going to get Joseph down in Egypt so that Israel and the tribes, the sons can be provided for. And now you see it here, particularly in Egypt itself. The land is languishing. The people are languishing. Everything is in great severity. And you just get this picture that there's this pocket over here in the land of Goshen. And there's Israel and his sons and their daughters and all of their families, 70 and all. And they're doing just fine. They're able to do just fine through all of this. And it is a reminder for us how God provides for his people. It is a reminder that God has the interests of His people in mind and in heart. A passage that we know very well that Jesus Himself said in Matthew thirty-one, in Matthew 6, verse 31, He said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Would you just underline Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here is God exemplifying how He cares for His people. Here is Here they are in Canaan. Here is Israel. Here are His sons. And God now is providing for them. He will not let them die in, in, in this famine in Canaan, nor is He going to let them die in Egypt. He is watching out. He is providing for them. It is a reminder of God's provisions. And I just want us to get the sense that things are not too bad in Egypt for them right now. They're doing fine. They are, as verse 27 says, they are gaining possessions in the land. They are being fruitful and multiply. They're doing just fine in the land that they've been given. But what we're going to find out is that's not the end of the story. There's not a, well, and they lived happily ever after. Isn't it wonderful that God took care of them and they were able to do okay there in Egypt and so every day was great. And so now let's start the book of Exodus. It's all over and done. Jacob is looking for something bigger and greater than this. Jacob has something far greater in mind than just simply living his life in Egypt, enjoying the fruit of the land, gaining possession of it, and hey, isn't it great that we live in Egypt? We'll just spend all of our time here. We'll just spend our focus here. Notice in verse 29 what Jacob says. Here's the setup in verse 29. And when the time drew near that Israel, that's Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place." And he answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Here is Jacob saying, My time is short, but I don't want to stay down here in Egypt. That's not where I belong. I belong back in the promised land of Canaan. And so when my time comes and I'm about to die, do not leave me here. I want you to bury me there. If you remember, here's a great uh, pie of the trivial pursuit to finish off and win the game. Very difficult one. The fathers, the forefathers that were buried in the cave of Machpelah. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, but here's where the curveball is. It is Jacob, but not Rachel, but Leah that are buried in that cave. And so Jacob is saying, I have a plot back there where our family was buried. Do not leave me down here. You take me back to, back to Canaan. You take me back to the promised land. And what we're learning from Jacob is he doesn't just sit back and go, you know what, living down here is fine. Who cares about the promises of God? You know, that promised land, and forget about it. Egypt's wonderful. We're just going to enjoy our time down here. Forget about it. It's a great reminder that Jacob shows to us is that he has his eyes on the promises of God. And he does not look at Egypt and say, well, Egypt's my new home, this is where I'm going to just spend my days and I don't care anymore about anything else. In his mind are those promises. In his mind is about going back to that land, even though where he's living right now has all the prosperity. Even though you could say by looking at it in a physical sense, hey, living in Egypt is the place to be. You're doing well. You're gaining possessions. You're being fruitful and multiplying. Look how well your family is doing. And yet Jacob says, you know what? Earth is not going to be the place, but eternity is going to be the place. The promises of God are the place to put our eyes. That for us, we are to desire the rich provisions of God that trump the provisions of this world. It is easy to take what we saw as the first point, that God will bless His people, that God cares and knows what we need. He knows that there are certain things that we need for this life. And He hasn't promised that we're all going to be rich and famous. He hasn't all promised that we're going to get all the things that we've ever wanted, anything that you can fantasize and dream about, oh, He's going to give it to you. He's never said that. He says, I'll take care of you. And the temptation becomes that we enjoy the provisions of God on this earth and forget where home really is. That would have been easy for Jacob and his family. Just forget about the promises. Forget about that land that God had given you. Just live here in Egypt and enjoy what you have today. And Jacob pulls Joseph with great force. Don't leave me here. And Joseph says, I'll do as you say. Then he goes, swear to me, you're not leaving me here. You're taking me back. Put me back in the land where I belong. And there must be an intensity on our part that matches that, that this is not our home. This is not where we belong. It doesn't matter how much prosperity we have. It doesn't matter how good it gets. It doesn't matter if we gain all the possessions of this land and we become fruitful and multiply and things are going so well. We cannot forget where our home really is. We cannot forget the promises of God. We cannot forget that where we are going, and so often the rich blessings of God, of prosperity that we have greatly received in this land have caused us to forget where we are going, and we put all of our hope here and We start being concerned about the things here, and we care about things here when God said when he said there in Matthew chapter six. Don't worry about those things. I know what you need. Don't be anxious for what you'll eat and drink or wear. I've got that covered. But we come along and go, oh, this is what it's all about. Listen to the words of Paul. Philippians 1, verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. He said it similarly to the Corinthians. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Let's just soak in those two declarations for a moment. Are those statements true for you? Especially because I want you to notice that Paul does not say... Well, you know, if I die, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that I'm going to go to heaven. And so it's going to be okay. You know, I'd prefer to have a lot more time here. But, you know, the good news is if we do die, you know, that's not the end. And good for us, we get to go home and be with God. But that's not the end. That is not the attitude of the Christian. The Christian says, let's go home. That's where I need to be. That's what my life has been all about. And we get so consumed with this world that we forget that we don't even use the words of Paul. Paul says, Did you? that's why I put it in yellow. My desire. Is that your desire? Or is it your desire to get all you can here? Because you're gaining possessions and you're being fruitful and multiplying and you're enjoying your Egypt. And you've forgotten the promised land. Jacob's desire is get me out of here. I want to go back. Don't you dare leave me down here, Joseph. Swear to me again and again I'm going. I want the promises of God. And we must have that same intensity and same desire. It is not a resignation of, well, I guess my time is done and hope it's going to be okay and I guess I'm going to eternity. That's the hope, that's the desire. That's the goal of this life. And so often we make this life the goal and that's the consolation prize. Well, if I didn't get my full 90 years, at least I've got heaven. Are you kidding? The goal is heaven. The goal is eternity with God. The desire is to be with God. This is the temporary waiting place. This is the Egypt. And we long to go home. And so we must be ready and we must remember that that is the promise. As we studied in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 23, is that we are longing for the redemption of our bodies, the full adoption as his children. We long to receive the full promises of God. We've only received just a a down payment, a portion of it right now. We've only just got the tip of the iceberg that we're enjoying right now. We get this little down payment from God. We go, well, this is great. This is all I want. God goes, you're missing out on everything else. You've got your hope in the wrong place. Put your hope in the promised land. Get your eyes on where we're going. Which leads then to the third observation that he shows us here in chapter 48. A a beautiful image about the rich provision of God. That God's provision is not just simply, hey, he's going to take care of you in this life. That's nice. That's fine. But that's nothing to the things that God has promised to his people. And we see the rich provision of God in chapter 48 in the most amazing way. Chapter 48 begins now the blessings of Jacob. Jacob knows his time now is done. And he has called the sons to him. And he begins with Joseph. And he tells Joseph to bring his two sons Manasseh and Ephraim before him. And so he says this amazing words in verse 5. Notice what he says. Genesis 48 Verse 5 to Joseph, he says, And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. That's amazing. And I want to show you why that's so staggering. Remember what we have going on here. Joseph's children are born in Egypt. Remember, Joseph goes to Egypt, marries an Egyptian wife, marries a priestess down there, names his two sons and basically says, I've forgotten all my travail of the past. I've forgotten my family, forgot it all. Here I am in Egypt. He has Egyptian sons and he has now been adopted as an Egyptian. Egyptian. He's number two in all the land. And Jacob comes along and says, you know what your two children are? They're not Egypt's. They're mine. And notice the equation that's made in verse 5. He says they're mine like Reuben and Simeon are. Equal rights belong equally to the family of Israel just like Reuben and Simeon. There is no distinction for Manasseh and Ephraim. They're not going to be second bit players, well, you two are Egyptians. And so you don't get all the access over here of being Israel. You know, okay, we'll bring you back, but you're going to kind of be second tier. After we go through all the other sons, then we'll kind of get you in. No. Just like Reuben and just like Simeon These two are considered equal And then what's really fascinating is So here's the two sons and he says They're mine, they're not Egypt's, they're mine They belong to me, they're equal privilege Equal right, equal blessing They belong to Israel just like Reuben and Simeon Then he pulls the two sons forward Manasseh and Ephraim And Instead of blessing them as you ought with the oldest in your right hand and the younger younger on the left, Jacob now crosses his arms as he begins to bless them. And Joseph, I love what it says here in in verse 17 of Genesis 48, it says, And Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on Ephraim. It displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh. Here's Manasseh and here's Ephraim and he goes, and Joseph goes, whoa, 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 no, 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 over here, over here and this one over here. And Jacob goes, no, it's not going to go like that. The younger brother is going to receive the blessing, not the older. Ephraim is going to be the one that's going to get the blessing and he continues to cross the hands. And lays the blessing on the younger brother, Ephraim, rather than on Manasseh, the older one. And what you see happening is the latter child, not the firstborn, gets the blessing. An amazing image going on. Here are the two sons who are Egyptian, who are now given full access into Israel. And it is the later child, the younger child, rather than the older, who gets the blessing. Now how many times does God have to keep doing that in the book of Genesis? Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau, Judah, not Reuben, Simeon, or Levi. Perez, not Ah, oh, lost it. What's his name? How frustrating. Zara. <laughs> Perez, not Zara. And now Ephraim, not Manasseh. God always showing that his blessings are not something that have a particular order or particular rules that have to be followed by. That God doesn't do this in the way that people would expect. From Abraham on, God constantly keeps showing you'll be surprised at who's getting the blessing. You'll be surprised at who's the one that's being chosen. You'll be surprised at who's the one that's coming in. And that surprise is overwhelming in this picture because here's the picture of Manasseh and Ephraim as total outsiders are now entering into this covenant of grace of being Israel. And then not only that to say it's the latter, Ephraim, that's coming in rather than Manasseh. Are you ahead of me now? I hope you are. Because it's a beautiful picture of what God is trying to symbolize all throughout of how it's going to go when we get to Jesus. It's the way it's going to keep going over and over again. It is going to be the outsiders, the Gentiles, who are going to have full access into the privileges of God and be full family. It will be the latter, not the first. Over and over again, God is foreshadowing that through every single generation in Genesis. From Abraham on, God is going, I want you to recognize something. My election doesn't always go according to the rules. I want you to see something. I want outsiders to come in. And we saw that when back in chapter 38 when we have in the genealogy of Jesus, the most notable, amazing name there, Tamar. An outsider, a prostitute in the genealogical line of Jesus. And here we're seeing in the generations of Jacob. The foreshadowing of God is going to bring outsiders into Israel. And God will take people who do not belong to this covenant at all. And allow them access to the covenant. God will take people who have no rights or privileges, who are secondary, and now allow them to have complete access. This is one of the beautiful things that Jesus was trying to say when he would keep talking to the Pharisees and those religious leaders and say, the last will be first and the first will be last. And it was shown with Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob and Esau, Ishmael and Isaac, Perez and Zerah. Over and over again, God showing, I will do this and show you these great promises. It reminds us them that we are just like Ephraim then. We are the ones who have no right to the privileges of God. We have no right to this glorious access to be able to be called God's covenant people. It's why when you get to the book of Acts, as Paul goes around preaching and you get to like Acts chapter 13 and the Israel, the physical nation, the Jews continue to reject. And Paul says, we go to the Gentiles and the response of the Gentiles was, yes, yes. We get access to. We can also belong to the covenant of God. We get to have the blessings. We can be in the kingdom. We can have forgiveness of sins. We can be fellow heirs and have full access into the privileges of God. And God says, You know, I was kind of predicting that way on back. Way on back, I was showing that I was bringing outsiders in. Way on back, I was showing my grace. And it shows us a beautiful picture of what it means to be fully adopted. We saw that in Romans 8. How about Ephesians 1? We studied that we are chosen and we are adopted as His children. No right to be there, but there we stand. And not secondary citizens, but just as Jacob said to Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim will be like Reuben and Simeon. And so here we stand as Israel. Here we stand as the people of God entering into the covenant of grace with equal access and full privileges. So don't set your heart on this world. Look at where God has brought us, look at what God has accomplished. Look at what he has said, that you and I can be fellow heirs, equal access, privileges of God, blessings of God, eternity with God. And we set our heart there. That is where our hope lies. And friends, I submit to you, this is one of the greatest graces that God gives us to overcome. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of despair, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of difficulty, our hope friends is not here. Our hope is in the promises of God that we have been adopted, that we are his children and we are going to go home and be with him. And so this life can be a total disaster. This life can go completely wrong. We can have our health taken away from us, we can have family taken away from us, we can have wealth taken away from us. We can have suffer we can be persecuted and it doesn't matter because we're children of God and my hope is in those promises and God said it all from the book of Genesis that's how it was going to go and he showed it through his sons the glorious hope that even outsiders could come in to the covenant of grace be saved from their sins and have a promised land in eternity to look forward to you pull your song next out. We'll sing invitation. And we invite you to come into the covenant of grace. We invite you to see what God has accomplished through Jesus so that we can have full access to God. That we do not have to be worried about this life. We do not have to put our hope in our health, hope in this land, hope in our, in our state of affairs, hope in our career, hope in any of our possessions. We do not have our hope here. Friends, we're living in Egypt and this earth is not our home. May we always forget that we're just traveling through this land with the desire, with the desire, not the consolation prize, the desire to go home to be with God. Eternity before our eyes whose founder and builder is God. That's the hope. Will you turn away from your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can have that hope and receive the promises of God today? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?